At Henson, we're looking forward to the holidays, and that means more time in the kitchen. Now, imagine your trusty kitchen knife had a wobbly handle. You'd be nervous. Well, the same is true in shaving. Most razors on the market today don't support the blades well enough, allowing them to flex and bend. This is a source of razor burn. At Henson, we used our 20 years of aerospace manufacturing to solve this problem, supporting the blade so you can use it confidently. To learn more and to get 100 blades for free, go to hensonshaving.com holiday. Here in Key West, we were out before it was in. In this open and inclusive paradise, you can be yourself, make new friends, and savor our live and let live vibe. With LGBTQ plus friendly accommodations, our legendary nightlife, and year-round activities and events, it's always a good time to come as you are. Key West, close to perfect, far from normal. This is an official download from thecustardtv.com. Hi everyone and welcome to the Custard TV podcast. I hope you're all well. It is Matt with you. Uh, we are recording this on uh, a very dismal bank holiday Monday for me. Joining me today after a few weeks absence for the podcast, Dawn is uh, with me. We met in person, Dawn, very excitingly this week. We did, yes. A whole, yes. We were together for several hours well maybe like three I don't know <laughs> not very long it didn't seem very long to speak in person and, and it was it it was all I dreamed it would be <laughs> <laughs> but yeah you got to see Jesse Armstrong and Sally Wainwright yep. and Dawn saw Miri Seal so yeah it was really good I enjoyed it it was all I I let Matt do all the work this time he got to do all the updates and I just went along and enjoyed the conversation so and and I loved Miri Seal she was my favorite of of the three I saw. Um, Sally Wainwright was really good as well. Lots of interesting stuff about the process she went through. Uh, Jesse Armstrong was a bit disappointing. It was a bit all over the shop. There wasn't a lot of information came out of it, but it was the busiest talk there. It was absolutely packed of people wanting to hear every word that Jesse Armstrong said. So, And he said something very interesting, didn't he? He, he was talking about you know what he was doing next and he was talking about having a rest. And he said, I'm looking forward to that. And then he changed it. I went, I mean, I mean, I am enjoying doing that. So uh, that was very intriguing. I was a bit upset that they didn't spend much time at all on Peep Show or yeah. Fresh Meat, really. It was basically the thick of it and then Succession. And that was about it, really. And she, it was Marina Hyde who did the interview and wanted to get in depth, really, about... Um, the writer's room process, didn't she? Because she yeah. herself is in a writer's room for a TV show. With someone who didn't come to Edinburgh, <laughs> not because she wasn't invited, it's Sarah Kennedy. Hi, Sarah. You're, you're trying to make me feel better, and I appreciate mm. it. You've got a busy life. I don't need to go to Edinburgh, baby. Edinburgh comes to me. Does it? <laughs> <laughs> I mean that I interviewed a celebrity in the week. Okay. Well done. Which you'll no doubt hear more about later. Yeah. Who I also saw in the flash as well this week. Yeah, exactly. She had interactions with two with both of us. I love how you just ploughed straight on into who you saw and what they talked about, and you didn't tell the listener that you were at the Edinburgh TV Festival. Oh, I the Edinburgh the TV Festival. You, you're assuming the knowledge of this sort of like audience, you know, that they're, they're um, hope that they hanging were... on your every word. Yeah. yeah, what you know, subscribe to uh at Luke Custer TV and we're paying attention to all the updates that I was doing throughout the festival. 
I was there the three days, Wednesday to Friday. We got a lot of uh, updates from the commissioners, new shows. The two things that I think everyone got asked was about freelancers, because apparently there was a thing at the start of the week about how it's the worst time for the TV industry. Freelancers have, you know, aren't getting much work. The budgets are drying up. Some of them are working as window cleaners. And the other thing was about sort of inclusivity on TV sets. And every it seemed like basically everyone had been on a training course and they kept talking about the five A's that they'd learned at this training course. And yeah, any, any of the exciting titbits are um, on uh, at Luke Custer TV. Uh, had fun at the Edinburgh TV Festival, had fun at the Fringe as well, uh, made it to 17 shows in the end. So uh, That's really uh, impressive uh, considering you're only there a few days. And I capped it off with a trip to Wembley Stadium with Gary as well, so it has been quite a busy week. But hey-ho, it's podcast time. We've been away for a few weeks. It's mainly because there's been a, a slight dearth in the TV landscape, and it may well be as well that we don't do one next week for similar reasons, but we're... Uh, so we have got to review uh, The Woman in the Wall, which is a six-part drama slash thriller on BBC One. Also on BBC One, would you say sort of comic thriller? The following yeah. is based on A Pack of Lies. Would that be about right? Okay. And then two out-and-out comedies, uh, The Return of Rose Matafeo's Starstruck and Henpocalypse, which is written, I believe, by Caroline Moran. But first, what have we been watching, folks? Can we remember? Have we got lists? I'll start with Sarah. Oh, please don't. I didn't prepare a list this week. What have I been watching? Oh, I tell you what, for some reason I was on Amazon Prime looking for something to watch, which is ridiculous because they don't really have any good TV shows. Since The Power, The Power was excellent. And I found something about an American pyramid scheme, multi-level marketing scheme. Documentary um, yeah. or drama? Yeah, documentary. Mm. Um, and a bit like a good pyramid scheme, it had me in at the beginning and I watched all four episodes in one go. <laughs> Lulu Row was the company. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Um, I remember that. So pleased that they, they never did turn up in the UK. Uh, what a terrible thing to do to people. Um, um, what ugly clothes they were selling. <laughs> um, the, yeah, I don't so, know this story at all. No, I didn't at all either. It was really interesting, but it was definitely 100% couldn't have been anything else but a pyramid scheme right at the outset. I think I probably would have heard of them in passing from um, last week tonight. Gosh, there's nobody quite so gullible as a sort of slightly bored American housewife who is not quite sure what she should be doing, but wants to support the family. And then it all got... It's It's called, by the way. Thank you. (laughs) <laughs> um, and <laughs> I told you I'm, I'm useless if I don't make any notes it's a good job I make notes on the shows we're actually discussing I've been doing a lot of comfort watching because my life has been traumatic <laughs> I went back to the start of Lovejoy which I is one of my favourites <laughs> I didn't expect that one <laughs> I love Lovejoy so much it's one of my favourite shows from the late 80s, 90s um, I, I love the ship in it, the Lady Jane and, and um, Lovejoy, they should have got together. I will be bitter about that till the very end. And then I watched a show that a lot of my friends watched. When I was in my teenage years, uh, Anne of Green Gables was massively popular with girls of, of, of my ilk. The good girls, you know, the good Christian girls who go to church and um, Anne of Green Gables was like the epitome 
So I watched the Netflix, mm. the Canadian one from, I think. Anne. It was, yes, Anne with an E. Um, and I absolutely love it. I have to say, despite my better judgment, I thought, mm, I probably won't like this. It'll be too twee. But no, it's very um, socially uh, forward thinking. There's gay characters. There's stuff about racism. It does take some liberties from the original book, but I really enjoyed it. And the, the actress, whose name I can't remember, who plays Anne, is very, she's, she's book perfect in the sense of she's exactly how she's described in the book. So she's very, you know, she's freckly and red hair and kind of awkward, but um, very enigmatic, enigmatic actress. Um, so she was, I loved that and it's been a real comfort blanket of watching. Hurrah, my first love, my first lady love, <laughs> Sarah Green um, of, of 80s TV is back on TV. She's basically being like the Richard Osmond on this quiz show and doing the sort of sitting at the computer and giving the information. Um, and it seems a bit superfluous, but I don't care because I love her. So I'm delighted she's back. On With Roman Kemp. With Roman Kemp as the main presenter, yeah. Oh, it okay. It definitely doesn't need two presenters. I don't I quite... see what they, they've done. There's a little for, like, two generations there, isn't there? Exactly, yes. It's yes. like on Danny Dyer's The Wall where they have the disembodied voice of Angela Rippon reading the questions. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> That's exactly what it's like. I know, Dawn, like me, you've been watching The After Party. You're up to date yes. with that. So yep. we're two episodes away from the finale, I think. Yes. Really enjoyed the John Cho episode... It was almost like a sort of um, Korean cinema type sort of romance that they did. Yeah. Again, though, with the comic undertones. And then uh, Ken Yong's episode is, is Feng, isn't it? The dad. Yeah. His was almost like found footage, wasn't it? Because it was all sort yeah. of camera things done by the videographer throughout the wedding. So yeah. clever as ever. Dawn thinks she sort of has worked out possibly who yeah. Killer might be. We, I am in... I'm, Three episodes now into Only Murders in the Building. Dawn, are you up to date? No, I'm the same. I've only watched three. I thought I'd yeah. seen four, but no, I haven't. Only three. The third episode ends with the Meryl Streep song. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. Yeah. Meryl, really Streep's, Meryl Streep's a good actress, folks. I know that's a hot take, but... <laughs> <laughs> wow, controversy. The surprise is that she's so good at playing a, like a bad actress or a mediocre yeah. actress in this. Yeah, and I, I think when she turns up I don't, I mean, you guys are more attuned to performances than me. I think that I'm watching TV more for the narrative and how it looks. But when she turns up, basically everyone else in the room can disappear because I'm just watching her. <laughs> yeah. The only sort of minor thing is, do they always have to give Mabel a love interest in everything? Can they not just let her? <laughs> it's almost like they're a bit worried that if they don't give her a love interest people will think that she's sort of got a relationship with one of the older men I don't know if that's the thing it feels like a but it does feel like a Hollywood writer would worry about that that's that to yeah. me is is and I have watched all of Heartstopper series two Yay. I don't know Dawn, if you have yes I have I loved it I mean, going into season three, the two stories I'm more interested in are Isaac's story and Darcy's story. Yeah, yeah. That's, Charlie, think... Charlie and Nick, it's like, yeah, we're done with you now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they've told that story. I'm not sure where it can go. Well, obviously, Charlie has developed a, an eating disorder of some kind. Mm. So, But again, just... it's well done because it's, yeah. it's sort of anxiety-based eating disorder, isn't it? Yeah. And... 
stress-based eating disorder that that was a well-told story but certainly where they're going with sort of like the story about asexuality which has not really ever been told in like a big drama like this and And especially in a teenage one as well Mm. I think the the issues that they deal with on the whole it's good for a, a wide audience to watch this and possibly see themselves certainly the teenage audience see themselves in one of the characters and I finally got to finish Ted Lasso as well. I think my expectations were sort of lowered by everyone else's yes. reactions. It was all right. Yeah, I, I thought that as well. <laughs> I thought it was all right. I didn't quite I, see why everybody jumped ship. Yeah, exactly. What were people I, hoping for? I didn't believe that Ted would come back for Beard's yeah. wedding. Yeah. That was the only thing that irked me a little bit. He would come back for Beard's wedding um spoilers if you haven't seen it yet but that's a very minor plot point but i don't think they did well on the whole sort of roy jamie keely left that hanging thing i think it's going to come back for like a special i think that's my feeling if they want to end it this is the end but they haven't sort of drawn a line under it i don't think Keely was the worst done by by the writing in the third season. I think it was it was horrible. horrible. Mm. It really was horrible, and it just became thing upon thing upon thing of awfulness. Yeah. Monster, and there was no reason for it. So that was my biggest. But mm. and we said felt... before that they kept her apart as well from mm. the rest of the cast. So yeah. it wasn't that dynamism that we've had before. Sure. And then both of her love interests regressed to. Worse oh, yeah. than we met them in series one at yeah. the end, which was just yeah. I, I think the, the thing will be, oh, she triumphed in business and she realised that she didn't need a man to be happy. I think they, that's what you would be told if you had that, if you went to the writers with those yeah. criticisms. Yeah, but sure. it felt like different people were writing different episodes. Nobody had talked to each other because yeah. there, there was all the stuff with, with Zava, was it, earlier on? The, yeah. the Mexican <laughs> player... Um, so different. It just all felt a bit jumbled. Like Nate's redemption ho- happened off screen. Yeah. So if you want our there our Ted Lasso review about three months after it finished, there you go. <laughs> We'd love to hear from you. Drop us an email. Custard TV reviews at gmail.com Right. Let's uh, kick off the reviews. The woman in the wall to start off with. This is a six-part drama very unlike the BBC they are not putting this all on the iPlayer this is going to be first run on Sunday and Monday nights at nine o'clock we've got Ruth Wilson in this playing Lorna Brady she lives in the fictional town of Kilkenyu I think was the name of the town no I don't think so no it can't possibly be that Kilkenyu Kilkenyu you in Dawn's accent just not yours (laughs) need a Celtic accent for this (laughs) Kilkenyu We meet Luna early on, walking down the street, early hours of the morning. We learn that she's prone to bouts of sleepwalking, very sort of reclusive, almost like monosyllabic character. She works, would you say, an adjuster in a wedding wedding dress shop, doing adjustments and things? Yeah, a seamstress. Yeah. Seamstress, there we go. You just made I it don't know, well. I don't know dresses. So, yeah, but she's sort of at the back of the shop, isn't she? She's kept sort of away from the clientele. It's during one of these bouts of sleepwalking uh, that she wakes up in her home to find the body of a woman. Dead body, I should say, with no idea how it got there. And as the title would suggest, Lorna panics and hides the body in uh, the cavity of a wall in her home. Flashbacks also tell us that when she was 15, uh, Lorna was pregnant 
because of the shame it would bring to her family, she was sent to uh, one of the uh, Magdalene laundries, which was where young pregnant mothers and other people were sent to be basically bullied and harassed by nuns and priests. The young mothers often or always had their babies removed. I'm, uh, you know, I'm not sort of, uh, most of my knowledge is based on the film Philomena, I'm afraid. We see flashbacks of Lorna being taken from her home uh, by a priest who in the modern days found uh, murdered and his car is uh, dumped just outside Kilkenew. Investigating this murder is Darren McCormack's uh, detective Coleman Akande. Um, who, as it transpires, also knew the victim. The priest took him under his wing uh, when Coleman was a troubled youngster. And after early investigations, Coleman asked to meet with Lorna with their first encounter occurring towards the end of the opening episode. I found this to be a drama that you had to pay attention to it, especially when Lorna was on the screen, because a lot of her scenes are dialogue free and you're very much in a world where you don't always know what's going on and what to believe. She is one of those characters who is, as I said, prone to fantasies. There's a lot of flashbacks to what happened the night before. Very sort of engaged in that character because of Ruth Wilson's performance. Uh, Sarah, what did you make of it? For something that's so troubling and dark, and it really is, isn't it beautiful? It's absolutely gorgeous. I loved at the beginning where she's like splayed on the lane with the cows coming towards her. She looks like she might be dead and they're playing with the beautiful dead girl trope. I thought that was quite cheeky, but it looked like a painting and there were so many shots. Here in Key West, we were out before it was in. In this open and inclusive paradise, you can be yourself, make new friends and savor our live and let live vibe. With LGBTQ plus friendly accommodations, our legendary nightlife, and year-round activities and events, it's always a good time to come as you are. Key West, close to perfect, far from normal. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart, an infant formula company on a mission to get a lot closer to the most super, super food on the planet, breast milk. Our patented protein blend has more of the important and most abundant proteins actually found in breast milk. We're the first and only US-made formula to use organic, grass-fed whole milk, not skim. We even conducted the largest clinical trial by a new infant formula company in a quarter century with clinically proven benefits like easier digestion, less spit up and softer poops versus a leading infant formula. And we make our own formula in the USA and our very own factories in Iowa, Oregon and Pennsylvania. Byheart, a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. That were so beautiful. And I loved how, as we learned a little bit more about the town, it felt very real. It felt like those lives were happening off camera. Um, and it was a lot funnier than I was expecting as well. But I suppose that's the caustic, quite bleak Irish sense of humour, isn't it? But in the first five minutes, we've got Lorna dealing with a wounded Jesus, a burst pipe and swearing at the nosy neighbours who were watching her stumble home after one of her like sleepwalking fits. Yeah. And then we've got like the flashbacks to this terribly cruel thing that happened to her, which happened to so many women 
again, probably from Philomena. And I think um, in an interview, Joe Murtag said that that's where he got a lot of his knowledge from. And he realised that that was a failing of our schools, that we didn't know about this here and in Ireland as well. These were meant to be theoretically for fallen women, um, which I assumed would be girls, especially who got married out of wedlock. But apparently it was unmarried mothers, women deemed to have to have been badly behaved, promiscuous or sexually abused, or who were considered uncooperative or burdens on their families. And it was grown women who were sent there as well, not just girls. They were imprisoned and it was a case of forced labour. And as they say in the show, the last one closed in 1996, which is just insane. I read around this a bit because I was like fascinated. Um, and I read that, I don't know if it was the, the case everywhere, but they left the children with the mothers for two years and then took the children away. And I can't work out what's more cruel. I think they really managed to balance the mystery, the thriller part of it with the horror. And they don't sort of linger too long on it. But I do have to take issue with the writer because in an interview, he said that he was smuggling in a story about the laundries in a regular TV murder mystery. It is not being smuggled. It's front and centre. <laughs> but yeah, no, it was it was incredible. A little bit concerned about Lorna generally because she's been through a lot. And the police officer says that she's emotionally troubled. She's not all there. She didn't seem to be that worried that there was a body in her house. Shocked, but not that worried because she just left it where it was <laughs> and went off to do her business in town and then came back, had a little think about it and then put her in the wall. I think it was like over the course of a day. It was a long time mm. for a body just to be littering mm -hmm. up the house. Yeah, I, it reminded me a bit of holding the um the game not yeah i was gonna say that that when darren mccormick come into it wasn't it the yeah, second yeah. part of the episode the police side of it very, mm. very like holding or a bit like bad sisters which obviously uh, darren mccormick mm. playing a very similar character in as well i really love him i think he's a really charismatic mm. it's not just that he's handsome i think he's really good he's he's um he has a warmth about him, which I think it works in this especially. I, I struggled a bit with the tone shift. The police stuff was very kind of lighthearted and jokey, you know, the the overweight, lazy local cop kind of trope. And then the very, very dark stuff with the, the, the women talking about what they experienced. And they, they had this meeting where they all brought an item that, represented something about their experience and and you know it was it was really really traumatic stuff i saw on twitter quite a few people saying oh no the, the timing doesn't make sense it doesn't work out in terms of years but it does obviously because she was you know she was 15 and it i assume it looked from the fashion sort of late 80s maybe and um so you know if you think about that and, she's yeah, and like, it's set in 2015 as well yeah, isn't it so if you think about that and she's like 40-ish now, you know, that makes sense. But I think it's because when you see the flashbacks to the young women, it looks like the 1950s or 1960s. But that was the reality of it. Was It was like it belonged in a, in a, a time gone by. It, you know, it's very hard to put that together with the 80s and 90s life that we knew you know when you think about Derry Girls is set in 1996 that was the year they closed mm. you know so these girls a couple of years ago in Derry Girls could have been sent to one of these laundries because as, as Sarah said it wasn't just for pregnancy one of the characters they said she was chasing married men but she'd never even had a boyfriend people just didn't like them for some reason and thought they were 
too sexual or too out there. I, I do know more about the Magdalene uh, laundries because I've seen the, the film The Magdalene Sisters by Peter Mullen, which is a hugely powerful film and won lots of awards at Anne-Marie Duff's and that. So I was aware of it, but I think it's doing a good thing and, and you know, bringing a, a lot more attention to this and what happened. And it's like that the nuns and the priests, oh gosh, I don't want to invoke the Godwins and mention Nazis, but <laughs> like, you know, people who were in concentration camps, the things that they would do, the soldiers and the, the guards, that they would never have done outside of that. And these laundries were the same thing. The, the nuns and the priests could be so horrifically cruel. And that's what this story is about. And I, I think they depict that very well. Ruth Wilson is very good at the kind of detached not quite all there, like she's sleepwalking the whole time. Um, and I, I thought that was done very well. I'm not convinced on her accent, her voice. It's like she's got done a very deep voice for some reason, which I, which I found a bit, you know, it took me a while to tune into it, especially because she doesn't have so much dialogue. But I liked that, and I liked that uh, Daryl McCormack's character uh, has a, a, a backstory similar, and he's having panic attacks. I think there's a lot going on, and it's it's very worthy it's not just oh, another, you know, another murder mystery, blah, blah. It's got a point to it. To Sarah's point as well, you know, it's not just about the Magdalene laundries. I think that was the point that Joe Murtar was making. Rather than making like a socialist, the Steel Town murders, I suppose, were very much yeah. about those girls, whereas this is present day mystery mixed with the stuff about the laundries and those interviews that, as you say, the, the very powerful with the older ladies as well who were in the laundries rather than just the younger girls. The scene where there's the five of them who are all there and wanting the justice that they haven't got yet and it being very much like a town where a lot of stuff is swept under the rug when you meet the seemingly comic police chief, I suppose, who I think has got that sinister edge to him because he's saying... It's a quiet town. I make sure it's a quiet town. Nothing happens here. No one here could have murdered the priest. I did struggle at first. I think because Lorna is such a sort of detached character, it takes a while, I think, before you get your bearings, I think, with it. I think once Darren McCormack comes into it as Coleman, there's that very clever introduction scene where they're watching Columbo. It's not a whodunit because you know who did it already. Yeah. You know, very sort of meta introduction almost to him. And I think he brings a, an energy to it, you know, and, and his partnership with the police chief uh, in the town. Yeah, definitely very intriguing. I think it's got that worthiness to it, but with this story mixed in this murder mystery, plus the mystery of the woman in the, in the house as well. And the little things like, you know, she sort of infiltrates this hen night and they give her devil horns and she wakes up with the devil horns the next day. Those little bits of symbolism. So, yeah, very different, I would say, from yeah. your normal sort of Sunday night. But, yeah, I think we're all saying we would recommend this one. Um, and I think the BBC have got a lot of faith in this because they're not putting it all on iPlayer, which I think is an experiment that they should try possibly for more of their new dramas but we shall have to see so yeah the woman in the wall uh this is as i say m sundays and mondays for the next uh three weeks and also on the bbc the following events are based on a pack of lies 
I think the longest title we've had this yeah. year for a TV show. I'm not sure at the moment whether this is all going on iPlayer, but this is Tuesday nights at 9pm on BBC One. And uh, Dawn has the unenviable task of running us through the plot. <laughs> um, it's written by Penelope and Ginny Skinner. I looked up, I couldn't find, I'm assuming they're sisters. We were calling it a comedy thriller. It is a very quirky, comedic, but still a, a, a thriller. Um, and it's telling the story of Alice, who lives in Oxford with her um, elderly father, her partner Benji, who is a magician, and her young son Josh. Uh, she works as a PA for some kind of small fashion brand. And Alice wants to be in the fashion designing business. Uh, one day when she's out, she's walking along the street and sees this man walking towards her. Uh, that man is Rob Chance, Dr. Rob Chance. Uh, played by Alistair Petrie, who plays the um, headmaster in sex education. He is a ecopreneur, is his thing, a, a, an alleged climate scientist. You know, he has established the Satut University for Climate, which runs out of uh, Oxford's some of their buildings. And he's close friends with the nation's second favourite naturalist, uh, Sir Ralph Unwin, played by Derek Jacobi. However, that's not who Alice knows him as. She knows him as Rob Graham, who was her husband. 15 years or so ago, she was married to him and he was a property investor. And he had this great deal going in Florida and got all her family and all their friends to invest in it. And then he needed more money and he needed more money. And their father, her father gave, basically put all the money from his house into it. And then one day Rob went out for a Chinese and never came home. She assumed he was dead or he'd gone forever. And now here he is. So she investigates him, sees all the lies that, you know, this is not the man, she, not the history of him that she had been told. She goes to the police, but the police say there's nothing illegal about lying. You have to prove that he is a con man. You have to find a paper trail. You have to prove he's doing it again. So Alice's idea is that she's going to catch him in the act uh, with his latest victim, who is uh, Cheryl Harker, is a fantasy author in the in the vein of, of G.R.R. Martin. She is recently widowed and Rob befriends her and starts a romantic relationship with her um, and begins manipulating her for whatever financial ends it is, we don't know. But Alice is on his trail with her magnificent cape and she is going to hopefully expose him there is some stuff at the start that that's done like a, a documentary. There's like shots of a guy in a, a trailer park in America talking about how his mother was conned by a con man. And there's a, a couple of moments of Rob speaking to the camera. I'm, I'm not quite sure where that's going or if it's just a style thing or if we are going to see uh, some, you know, that they make a de documentary about him. I don't know. Um, it's very quirky. There's a lot of on-screen things like when she's looking at social media, we see all that on screen. I have to complain about the on-screen graphics. I couldn't read them. Um, <laughs> I don't know if that was just me, uh, but uh, new glasses, uh, but I couldn't read them. But it's very uh, stylized and quirky. Rebecca Stanton is Alice and um, I would watch her in anything. Absolutely love her. 
and Marianne Jean-Baptiste is Cheryl Harker, the fantasy author. Yeah, and then um, what did you think of it? When I'll, I'll go back to the Edinburgh TV Festival briefly. Um, <laughs> when I believe it was the head of drama at the BBC, uh, not Charlotte Moore, they were talking about what they were looking for. And they said that they'd had a lot of recent pitches of big ideas, like, you know, that you could one sentence pitches and they in that lost characters. And now they were focusing on characters as well. And I had watched this on the train up to Edinburgh and I had this in my mind when they talk about this because this very much feels concept first and then... Here in Key West, we were out before it was in. In this open and inclusive paradise, you can be yourself, make new friends and savour our live and let live vibe. With LGBTQ plus friendly accommodations, our legendary nightlife and year-round activities and events, it's always a good time to come as you are. Key West, close to perfect, far from normal. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Characters and plot second. The cast is very accomplished. The three stars, as you were, are all actors who I've enjoyed in other things. Marianne Jean-Baptiste in particular, I love her. I think she's been brilliant, you know, since Secrets and Lies, really. But I didn't buy her as the author of, like, a fantasy set. I know they sort of come in all shapes and sizes, like George R.R. Martin, for example. But, you know, you don't picture, like, glamorous women being (laughs) science fiction writers. I don't know if that's just a, a bit of a stereotype, but she didn't seem particularly interested in the book she was writing either if you know what I mean, or, but, you know, I I really liked her, but I didn't believe sort of the attraction that she had for Rob, the Alistair Pitry's character. I don't think Rebecca's started particularly sold the shock of seeing her husband after 25 years, who, it didn't feel like the actors were fully into these characters and fully selling these moments. And I think for a a far-fetched story like this, you need that to it. I think... Of the three, Alistair Petrie was having the most fun playing this really sort of conniving con man character. The end of the first episode, which ends, as as Dawn was saying, with these scenes of characters opposite like this, this red background behind them with him just sort of fully addressing the character, uh, the audience, did intrigue me enough to see what would happen next. But the second episode, which... It has a lot more interactions between Marianne Jean-Baptiste and Rebecca Statton's characters. Lost me a little bit there, and and you could feel that, yes, this is success. This is going to be drawn out, this story, longer than it possibly needs to be, you know. I did enjoy seeing, like, uh, Derek Jacobi as the sort of David Attenborough-type character, Carl Davis from Mum as her dad, and Romola Gary as the, as the boss as well. It's a really stacked cast, but the story and the characters just didn't do it for me. 
like we were saying about the woman in the wall the tone was a little bit all over the place as well you know the themes it was dealing with especially with the Marion Jean-Baptiste character who was a widow and was get you know was grieving and slightly dealt with the sort of the fandom of these novels as well and how they treated her really and her grief and that on its own would have been a really interesting story to look at but because it was sort of bogged down in this sort of command story I think it got a bit lost but yeah not for me really I could see sort of people getting hooked on the story but I think it loses steam a little bit so it was really going for for weird wasn't it Mm. Uh, honestly I thought it took about 20 minutes to settle down before it found a plot there was so much discordant music and the soft coloured interior lighting was quite off-putting every sort of curtain was drawn and felt like a theatre set I suppose I thought he was fabulous as as a scammer and of course I can speak to the widow story as well not being quite so successful a writer but similarly I was going to ask what if anyone did something to your cat like he did to the dog in oh that man would be dead (laughs) (laughs) and all of his family too and everyone he's ever worked with and anything he'd ever loved and it would be grisly widows are advised by their friends and by their peers about con men because they come along very quickly afterwards because they know that you're vulnerable especially if you've nursed someone through their last illness you're gonna be so defeated so sad it's gonna sound kind of like silly to say but you just want to feel pretty again and he won't take no for an answer And then when they kiss at the end of the first episode and she says, I'm in love with a dead man, that properly resonated. That's definitely a widow line. Yeah. I wonder if it will find its audience because I did have to be very patient in the first 20 minutes. I understand that they're trying to be mysterious and unsettling, but I really needed Alice's story quite a lot more quickly, I think. And I wonder if the audience will be as patient as me. Although the one thing that did keep me going was definitely the fact that that cast is absolutely stellar. I did enjoy it. I think I struggled most with the the Marianne Jean-Baptiste character and her story. I agree, it didn't work for me in terms of... And it wasn't that she was a a female fantasy writer. I don't know what it was. It just... She just didn't feel real to me. And and the chemistry with her and, and Rob didn't work for me either. But I would stick around for it just for Alice's story. I really, as I say, I, I love Rebecca Stanton anyway. And I love that with, with her cape, you know, that it felt a bit like she's a superhero or something. And I thought this is something really interesting. This woman who has had absolutely everything taken from her, who obviously feels that she hasn't achieved in life what she should have, you know, that she is going to achieve something. She's going to catch him and she's going to protect other women from him. I really like that. And I, th- I feel like that could have been more. It should have been more on that and less on his current con and, and, and mm. what he was doing. So Had it two been... things yeah. together, like, that yeah. don't mesh, I suppose. And, and, and I think it is an important story that and, and what Sarah was pointing out, you know, he has this, this file of facts where he lists all his people who he's going to con or thinking about conning and they all have a vulnerability and that's I think is something that we need to talk about more of and it is like uh, Sixth Commandment was talking about the way that vulnerable people are so open to someone coming along and just showing them love and interest and how 
sad that is and what it says about our society that people are so uh, susceptible to that because they're so hungry for just someone to make them feel special and, and to be seen. And, and I really think that could have been more of it. I think it loses too much in the quirkiness and the and the sort of clips of people. But I, I really enjoyed Alistair Petrie's performance. I think he is absolutely loving that as the con man. And I think he is good at showing the the way that he's kind of, oh, I'm self-effacing and uh, I used to be awful, but, you know, I've now I've learned better. And I was watching it thinking, if I met him, I'd be going, go away, you annoying man. But I wrote down the word muskian. There was definite <laughs> elements of musk to yeah. him and his sort of deluded fantasy that he had about this weird, like, ecology thing that he, his new field of disruptive exploration, like a very heroic ecologist. Alice was on the computer for two minutes and realised that his institute and everything was was just a, a pretty website. Which, uh, when you click on more pages, doesn't work and there's no phone call, phone, you know, n- nobody at the end of the phone when you phone. Like an episode of Watchdog. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe as it goes on, we get more into the, the important part of it and less in the kind of, not com- it's not even comedic. It's just kind of quirky. No, I stuff. think maybe they front loaded front loaded the quirkiness. Yeah, um, I I don't think I'm on board with it. As I said, and I think the other thing that put me off a bit was that scene where she went to the police and how okay. dismissive that policewoman was. I, oh I, yeah, I looked that up because maybe you looked it up too because we we are of a similar mind on these sort of things. There's such a thing called qualifications fraud, and it is a crime, and it can be punishable by imprisonment. So if he's not a real doctor, and it sounds like he didn't even get GCSEs, um, that's very much a crime. And so the policewoman should not have dismissed that so quickly. And again, that felt like a very comic scene, didn't it? The, the policewoman who interviewed her or took her statements. It just all felt, this is the comic bit, and now we're going to do the serious bit. And I think the mishmash of tones and stories that we've talked about didn't quite work for me, but... You know, there we are. We're we're split on this one. But if you want to find out for yourself, it's Tuesday nights at nine o'clock. Moving now to sort of full on sitcoms. uh, We have got two to discuss and we're heading over to Queen of the Sitcom, Sarah Kennedy. Uh, First up, we've got the uh, return of uh, Rose Matafeo's Starstruck for a third series. Gosh, isn't it nice? Rose Matafeo's back, Nikesh Patel's back, Emma City and the whole gang are back for uh, the third series of Starstruck. Um, which I think probably came as kind of a surprise to people who'd watched the end of the second series because they're kissing and they're in a lake and there's a waterfall and it's it's charming. That's their happily ever after, isn't it? No, it's not. Honestly, the first few minutes of this, it's too heartbreaking and should come with some sort of warning. We see um, Jesse and Tom's whole relationship in under three minutes. There's tender moments which become absences because of Tom's work, arguments and eventually a split where she goes back to Kate's house. And so here we are, two years on after the breakup, it's Kate's and Ian's wedding um, because they were always the sort of more stable relationship um, because Kate's the boss and boring Ian knows his place. (laughs) And yeah, there's an awkward reconnection between Tom and Jesse and she has to pretend to be really interested and excited to meet his new girlfriend. Obviously, Jesse makes a terrible wedding speech, which goes down really badly. But there's a new guy there, Liam, who has come as a plus one because he's Brian's electrician. 
So I still find this a really strange show in the fact that a Hollywood actor is now friends with Jesse's extended friend group and he was invited to the wedding, but only as an evening guest. Ian quite rightly didn't want him to pull focus during the ceremony and the friend group, who I still really don't have a clear idea of who's who, they do get a lot more screen time this series. The second episode deals with Tom and Clem's engagement party. The viewer is stuck, I think, because Clem seems lovely. Uh, she even likes boring Ian's boring stories about trying to book a train in France. And it's very difficult that Liam, the new love interest for Jesse, and Clem are both nice. They're not two-dimensional villains. Uh, but of course, we still want Tom and Jesse to grow up a bit, become a little less self-obsessed and find a way to be together. I saw Rose Masterfeo at uh, <laughs> Edinburgh this, this year. Go, going, well, I, I know. I spent half an hour in Emma City's company the other week, and she is so lovely. She says that Kate is her with all of the sympathetic bits taken away. She is quite direct in her friendship, she says, and she's friends with Rose and with Alice. Yeah. Um, but she was just wonderful. And she also had a lot to say about the Edinburgh Festival. Yeah, which I saw her at as well. She was doing a uh, improv show alongside her starstruck castmates and uh, Kyle Smith Bino uh, from Ghosts. Um, the Rose Matafeo thing was relevant uh, because one of the stumbling blocks early on in the opening montage of the getting back together and breaking up is the fact that Jesse doesn't want kids, basically, or says, you know, remind me not to have kids. And that was one of the things Rose Matafeo was bringing up in her show. She's recently done an interview with The Independent because she's done, she's the host of the new Junior Taskmaster. And one of the questions they asked her was something along the lines of, did working with the kids bring out your maternal side? And it's how every woman now in her 30s is asked about having children and things like that. And I think that seems to be one of the themes that she's bringing in to this mm. new series. And I think it's very brave that they just said, no, we're going to show you these two are sort of opposing forces and how hard it is for this relationship. Because at the end of the day, he is a Hollywood movie star. He is away a lot and it must get quite lonely when she's waiting here. The sort of the welcome home banners get less and less mm. sort of romantic every time, don't they? I agree with you when you said about... Tom being friends with the, the friendship group, it very much reminded me of Andy McDowell being invited to all the weddings in four weddings and a funeral because she'd spent one wedding that, with that friendship group. And you um, are can right. I just circle yeah. back to the having children bit? Yeah. I think I'd had problems with iPlayer. So I'd stopped uh, my rewatch of series two on iPlayer and I'd gone over mm. to Netflix. So when I put it back on iPlayer, it was the middle of series two and just in a really throwaway opening before the um, main titles. Do you remember Jessie's looking at a pregnancy test in the bathroom? Yeah. Mm. And her emotional reaction yeah, to I it. Yeah, I remember that. Floored me, absolutely floored me. And it's this terrified, happy, sad that she thinks she's pregnant. Then she looks again at the stick and the instruction book yeah. and goes, <laughs> oh, hang on a minute. And she just chucks it yeah. into the corner of the room. And I just putting that together with how the series is going and her comments, her own comments on being a woman in the public eye. Yeah, it was just incredible, really incredible mm. stuff. 
Also, something I learnt uh, when seeing her show is that Jessie is her grandma's name. Rose Matafeo's 80-year-old grandma is called Jessie. So I think it's an interesting one, Sarah, as you were saying, that with romantic comedies, we are sort of programmed to want the two characters to get back together, especially as, you know, we've seen them together and, they, you know, they make a good couple. But the new love interests are both really nice people as well. So mm. it's... It's hard to figure that and where it will go next. Really enjoyed it. Really glad to have all these characters back. We also see in in episode two that she's now moved it. Is it Joe from the cinema that she's yeah, living right. with? Yeah. Now, who is another great character and there's a... Yeah, I'm pleased they're getting more screen time. Again, something I learned is that Rose Matafeo in real life lives with David O'Doherty as flatmates, so I don't know if she's basing any anything on... <laughs> On his character doing... Would he uh, get trapped in a bathroom doing DIY? (laughs) Probably. (laughs) I think so. He's he's got that about him. (laughs) Really glad to have it back. It's gentle. It's funny. All the cast are brilliant. If you haven't seen it already, catch it on iPlayer or apparently on Netflix as well. (laughs) And um, Dawn, how many episodes? I, I watched the first episode on Saturday. And I was ready to come on here with a, a, a speech about how I binged the first two seasons as they came out in one go. And this is such a good show. It doesn't deserve that. It deserves to mm. take your time and watch each episode. And then last night, as I was going to bed, I thought, I'll just watch one more. <laughs> and <I watched> <laughs> season. <laughs> Obviously, the fact that I binged it, I really enjoyed it. I was completely taken in again with this group of people and their, and just Jesse. And this season focused more on Jesse alone. There isn't a humongous amount of interaction with her and Tom. Considering the the premise of the show, you think, well, that that's a fail, but it's not. It really mm. works. You know, at the end of season two, Jesse realised that she wasn't a good girlfriend. That she really needed to mature she had you know she pushed people away and things so it focusing on her and her growth as a person is I think a natural follow-on from that story I love the fact that you know Liam and Clem are such nice people and you go well I really like them together and they have chemistry with them their understanding of the fact hey you have an ex of course you do you're an adult the main takeaway I got from this is that it's a very mature telling. You know, I love I love romantic comedies and I love shipping and you know characters getting together. But this is something this is telling a much more mature story. This is about real people and the real hard work it takes to have a relationship. Sometimes just being in love isn't enough because there is so much more going on. There's other people in your lives, there's your job, there's your family, and there are things that just don't gel together. And you have to make decisions about that. So I I really like that it is funny, it's very funny. It it does have that sort of forewedding and a funeral because there is a a wedding and then the um an engagement party and then the and Kate is pregnant so this has that same kind of uh, life events going through it other than that I, I think it's a very mature I'm making a really good point about adult relationships and things you start to accept in your 30s and what you want from a relationship and what you're willing to give up and what you're not willing to give up uh, and I was delighted that there was more Joe because I think he's actually my favorite um, mm-hmm. side character. I read an interview with Rose She's very hard on herself, but she said that she wasn't sure about romantic comedies 
as being good for young women, putting relationships up as the be all and end all and how it's fine to find self-worth and be validated outside of relationship. Mm. And I think you can tell that she started thinking about and writing these characters in her 20s and now her and the cast are growing up together and now they're in their 30s you really get a real sense of that with what you were talking about, the sort of maturity that's there now. That makes total sense, that that's her point of view. And I think this, although it is a romantic comedy, in some ways it's an anti-romantic comedy because it's about love isn't everything, attraction, chemistry. Yeah, because at know? the moment we're in the after the happy ever after, yeah, you know, exactly. what happens now. Yeah, you know, because shows don't do that because they think they'll lose the audience. But Starstruck here is showing you that you can tell an interesting story as long as you're, you've got the writing. If you've got the good characters and you've got the writing, you can tell the story after that point and people will still watch. Universal praise there for Starstruck, all on the iPlayer now. But watch it on BBC Three on Monday nights. And back to Sarah now for uh, Henpocalypse. Uh, this has been airing on Wednesday nights on BBC Two. Uh, again, it is all on the iPlayer, and it has come from Caroline Moran, who it was one half of the writing duo for Raised by Wolves, another West Midlands comedy. And of course, when we're talking West Midlands, we have to uh, go to our expert, Sarah Kennedy, <laughs> even though I live in the West Midlands as well. But there you go. Yeah, but you're not that Don't close stop. to Birmingham. I'm the, I'm so the, how, top, of the top of the weather how, map. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're, you're Northwest, so we forgive you. <laughs> So this is basically about a hen party from the West Midlands that goes off to mid Wales um, and they are in remote seclusion when the apocalypse hits. So we've got Zara, who is the bride-to-be. Shell is the maid of honour. Bernadette is the bride's mum. She's completely paranoid, but exactly the right person to have when you're trying to survive an apocalypse. Um, they've been saddled with cousin Jen, who nobody really wanted to be there in the first place. And Vina is almost immediately an expert hunter and tank girl. I really like the bait and switch they do right at the beginning when they get to the, the cottage. You've got them all standing in front of the TV going, that's us buggered, it's a frigging fiasco. You think that they're watching the news, but they're actually trying to get the Bluetooth speaker to connect. So on the news, they're showing um, the beginning of crab measles, which is the next pandemic outbreak that's going to wipe us all out. The brief shots of biohazard stuff did make me a little bit unnerved but they've done really well and they've struck the tone right it doesn't trivialize what's happened it was in production before covid19 even in the briefing room as the speaker keels over behind the podium uh, it's still kind of funny the slogan here is slightly different of course stay safe stay home avoid crabs so yeah the crab measles are wiping out all the men and um, they seem to sort of like explode after a few seconds after Ten getting seconds the. It is. Yeah. So what we're doing is we're watching them survive. But also Zara especially is not mourning the loss of her wedding yet because she reckons that Gary's going to come for her. Um, the accents are perfect, as is the Black Country references. Yes, of course, everybody wants a big flashy wedding at Shubra Hall. That's near you, isn't it, Matt? <laughs> it is. I was going to mention that. <laughs> yeah. Um, and the people who want that, those sorts of weddings are exactly the sort of people who would say, how dare you put my wedding into context? And then there's a lovely, smart way to show the morning after. Um, we think that one night of debauchery has passed and this is the hangover where they're snorting coffee and marker pens. But actually, this is weeks into quarantine. 
Um, and we see that they've kept Drew the stripper upstairs tied to a radiator. I think my main problem with this, and I bet you weren't expecting me to say that, I bet you thought this was going to be 100% Sarah. I think that until at least the second episode gets going, we don't have anyone to root for as such. Shell is a victim. Callie Cook, brilliant in Cheaters, if you remember that show. She's a bit of a wet blanket. Jen is literally useless because her leg needs to be amputated because of a terrible injury caused by stiletto heels. And the others are quite unsympathetic until we get to know them a bit more. Even then, crab measles aside, I would still decline this hen party invite. <laughs> Although you cannot fault the writing. It's extremely detailed. It feels like Caroline Moran has suffered through an awful lot of hen parties. Her women are all capable. They're all creative. So there's a lot of hijinks. Um, and then at the end of the first episode, we meet um, a female nemesis. It's it's good, but I had to give it a bit of time. I watched the whole thing. When it wasn't very well, I, I watched the whole thing uh, on a Saturday night. It was very much a Saturday night kind of show. I, I agree. It took me a couple, uh, more than one episode to get into it. I wasn't. I did think it was funny, but I just didn't. Again, as Sarah says, it's the the characters. I didn't warm to anybody. Everybody was horrific as a person. But <laughs> yeah. as it went on, I really started to enjoy it. I have to say, the story with Jen and the celebrity cameo. Uh, I think you can. Say, I think you can say. It. I think it's been published. It's been out. Yeah, is hilarious. That whole story, which really um, becomes detached from the main plot, it's absolutely bonkers. But I loved it. It really played into my sense of humour. Um, you know, the the fact that the the nemesis are Pilates instructors yeah. and all the you know <laughs> the, the fit women who are have, have lived on quinoa and um, I think that's just brilliantly observed. And and the 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 fact that they made all these tools out of everything they had, weapons out of everything they had, um, is something I've thought of before. Um, they've stolen it, I've written it in a, a novel I've yet to finish. Um, oh, I thought it was just equipment that you had in the house. <laughs> but you weren't worried about intruders. Yeah. I loved Raised by Worlds. Again, Rebecca Statton mm. was, was, was starred in that. It was very good. I really liked that, the writing of um, uh, Caroline Moran. I, it's, it's easy viewing. It's mad, absolutely crazy, but it is very funny. Mm. And I, I've watched sort of bits and bobs. So I sort of skimmed, I skimmed through the series, I have to yeah. admit. I did like it. One of my main criticisms of that first episode was the fact that you just, you know, you said, Sarah, that you just go from them arriving to them deep in the... I know you do get some flashbacks later on, but... Oh, I liked that. I mean, yeah. we've all lived through a pandemic. We yeah, all know okay. what the stay-at-home part was like. Yeah. I thought that... Skip to the end, frankly. I thought that was great. There's a great chemistry between the women as well. The four women who sort of spend the most time together, because, as you say, Jen's off on her own with her Donny Dyer sort yeah. of... Spirit guide, possibly, would be okay. the best way right. to... And probably <laughs> Danny Dyer's best performance playing himself... Like yeah. that's his best. That's what he's certainly best. his best performance this year in anything. Well, I didn't watch that fire drama. We couldn't get a preview Don't. of it, could we, Dawn? <laughs> Have you seen it? Yes. Why? <laughs> I don't know. A moment of weakness. He's got a Sky comedy coming soon as well. 
Oh dear. Maybe comedy is where might be he... more in his wheelhouse. Yeah, maybe comedy is where he thrives, you know. Yeah, he's a big character. Let him he's be a big character. A big character. Yeah. But yeah, and I, I love K.O. Flynn as well. I've always, you know, she was um in Everybody Else Burns earlier this year. She was in No Offense as well. And I think she, the fact that they've singled her out to be the person who gets the sort of the subplot playing this sort of oddball character who it sort of saves the day at the end as well, doesn't she? I think. I think that. I, and I, I like the fact that the women who were left are competing for the men who've survived so they can carry on the human race yeah. as well. I, I thought Elizabeth Barrington, fantastic as oh, yes. sort of. Brilliant. Her, mm. Almost like cougar esque in her pursuit. Oh, of, she was so food. ready for the apocalypse, despite replacing her vape juice with de-icer from the car. It's a great cast that they've assembled who all feel like they've known each other for years. It is a, a good premise and I just hope people what it there again doesn't seem to be much hype around it really. I've definitely heard more about Hempocalypse yeah. than I, I have about Starstruck coming back. Lots more actually. Okay. I mean I'm not that much online so uh, <laughs> but I just I haven't seen many sort of reviews or people sort of, you know, talking about it in the office and things like that. But yeah, very original, very unique, great performances, believable characters. And as you say, it's always good to have a reference to both Shugborough Hall and Congleton <laughs> in the first episode. Yeah, so that's all there on the iPlayer now. And that is us for today. Uh, thank you very much to Sarah and Dawn. I realised I haven't done any of the plugs today. So if you want to tell us it's been a long week folks um where we can find your work and such sarah i'll start with you i am still over on twitter i refuse to call it anything else um i am at sarah hamstera my writings um are available on whynow.co.uk and by the time you hear this podcast um there'll be a lovely interview up there with emma city uh you can get me on twitter too uh, at don glenn too uh, we also have the shipyard, which is the shipyard USB for uh, romantic stuff, <laughs> relationship stuff. And uh, if you want to read my writings, it's mostly on the Custard TV. Please enjoy it there. And yes, as you said, the custardtv.com. We have got uh, a fully updated coming soon on there, following all the announcements from uh, the Edinburgh Festival. If you go to Twitter at uh, Luke Custard TV all the updates uh, that we put on from all of the sessions that I attended are there now. In terms of Twitter, I'm at Matt's TV Bytes, the podcast at Custard TV Pod. Dawn is doing a stellar job over at Instagram. It's the Custard TV. We are on Facebook and you can get in touch to be part of the podcast or write to the website. And there is also a join us tab on the custardtv.com. We possibly will not be back next week, but two weeks time we've got uh, coming up the lovers on Sky Max and or Sky one of the Sky channels and Love and Death on ITVX. But until then, uh, thank you very much uh, for listening and goodbye. Rate and review us wherever you find us. Search the Custard TV on YouTube, iTunes, and Facebook. 
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.